Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Most of you, I suspect, have a creche at home. Uh, the creches are little figurines that we can put on our tables and shelves that spell out and explain the Christmas story. By the way, the origin of that comes from St. Francis, who was preaching around Christmas season, and these people knew nothing about the gospel, so he just went in the crowd and said, why don't you come up and, and you be Mary, you got a little kid with you, he gets to be Jesus, and yeah, you have a beard, that's nice, come up and be Joseph, and uh, you guys be shepherds, oh, you really are shepherds? Well, bring your sheep, we'll get them too, and here's three guys that look noble, we'll get them to come up and to be uh, kings. And then he just told the story one by one from those characters. It's a wonderful heritage which we enjoy. But I do remember uh, visiting one church during the Advent season, and the father told me, little Alex wants to show you uh, our crash. She's put a new figure in it. Well, I'm wondering what new figure is going to go into the crash. And I got there, and we looked at it, and she's just shaking with excitement. And she says, well, we got here uh, uh, Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph. And why? wait a second, who's this? And there was a little fireman there, and he had a fireman hat and a fireman jacket and a fireman hose, and he was right there with the three wise men. And I said, I don't recognize this figure from the Bible. And she says, Father Brad, it's right there in Scripture. It says, and they came from afar. <laughs> I'm still laughing about that when I, uh, being from the deep south, I do enjoy that one. <clears throat> you know, I don't like, John, that there's another figure that we see in the crash, not so much in a crash, but in the uh, nativity scenes from the 14th, 15th, and 16th century, the great masters of Italy and France. And it's the figure of John the Baptist. I think I may be right in saying that John the Baptist appears in nativity scenes more often than Joseph appears in nativity scenes. And why would that be? Because he is the premier character of uh, the Advent season. Now, I don't like John the Baptist. I think I would like most of the people in the New Testament... John the Apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, I find lovable. Peter the Rock, gutsy, loud and boisterous, and a deep belly laugh that you would hear at any party. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, is a favorite of mine. Not a leader, but an enabling networker and great evangelist. He was always bringing people quietly to Jesus. My favorite is Barnabas the encourager, the networker, the reconciler. Even Paul the Apostle, he gets a bad press in some circles, but Luke tells us in Acts chapter 20 that when Paul left Ephesus and went down to the seaport town, all the elders came with him, and when he left, they wept. And I think that I would have wept too. But John the Baptist? I don't think so. He doesn't strike me as a very likable fellow. I mean, can you picture him as a Sunday school teacher or youth minister or the senior pastor of a church? 
I mean, if he were the senior pastor, you might walk up to him one Sunday morning and say, good morning, rector. And he'd reply, repent or be damned. Now that wouldn't improve the pledges. John the Apostle in the prologue of his gospel tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. John the Baptist is full of truth, but I don't know how much grace he has. At least grace in the sense of kindness, meekness, and gentleness. He's tough as nails and hard. Though people in a crisis do want and need a clear word, but it's not that kind of message that attracts people, is it? Or is it? I mean, it attracted those people. Matthew tells us, quote, Then went out to John, Jerusalem and Judea, and the regions about the Jordan. They were all coming out. You see, John had a message from God, and he proclaimed that message unequivocally and fearlessly. And people then, like people today, were desperately hungry to hear a word from God. And John the Baptist had that word, repent. And they all went out to hear that word. Jesus tells his disciples after Herod's shabby arrest of the Baptist, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John. Now why did Jesus say that about John the Baptist? Why not Mary and Joseph? Why not one of the apostles? Why not an Old Testament prophet? or David, or Moses, or Abraham. Why John? I think because Jesus saw in John a man 99% on fire for God. He was a believer who knew the heart of God and knew the mind of God, and he lived a life for God. Luke tells us in the infancy narratives that John was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in the womb. Although his mother his father was a priest. John had no time for the priesthood or the synagogue or the temple. He had no time for marriage or the family. He goes instead to where Israel first goes to find God, the desert. And in his own person, he recapitulates 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, seeking God where Israel found God, in the wilderness. And Moses, like Moses, who received his commission in the desert, the Baptist received his commissions to carry a message, a message from God. And that message is, repent. How do you like that? Do you like a word about repentance? I want to do a little poll here. We're all friends here, and nobody's keeping score. So I'd like to read a number of words and then I want us to kind of vote on him, on how it makes you feel. One, you don't feel very good about it at all. You hate it, in fact. Ten is you really like it a whole lot. So, for example, I'm going to say ice cream is my first word. And if you like ice cream, when we get to nine or ten, just raise your hand. We're going to do this real fast. And Some people are already voting on that. You've got to wait. Okay, so ice cream. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, well, obviously you're invited to my birthday party. Liver, we're not having that at my birthday party, but liver. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, kind of across the board, but you don't like it mostly. Taxes, now don't move too fast on this. 
because I kind of like taxes. I get policemen and firemen. I get clean water. I get an army to protect me. So I'm going to give it a five in my book. But you do whatever you want. Ready? Taxes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. Church hymns. And I was in a boys' choir for six years, so this is going to get a ten from me. But you do how it feels to you. Church hymns. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, most of you like church hymns. We'll keep singing them. Rock and roll. Now, I got to report that I was in a rock and roll group when I was in high school, and you're really going to enjoy this. The name of our group was The Bishops. <laughs> we were not very good, I promise you. But anyway, let's vote. Rock and roll. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, let's get serious. Forgiveness from God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, we all like forgiveness from God. Two more. Reconciliation with others. Let's vote. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. And the last one. Repentance of life. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, that got a lower vote than the other two, and that's interesting. Repentance tends to score lows on polls like that. I mean, for us, repentance is a negative concept. And why is that? I think it's because we've been sold a false bill of goods. Let's not miss this. The very last verse of today's gospel reading is, and so with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Repentance is good news. That's the title of my sermon. We've allowed ourselves to believe that if there's to be good news, then there must be bad news, too. Good medicine always tastes bad, doesn't it? But Jesus came preaching good news. We know that. But the very first word that Jesus speaks publicly in Matthew, Mark, or Luke is the word repent. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. First word. It's also the message given to the first apostles, Mark chapter 6, verse 12. And so they went out and preached that men should repent. But we think a call to repentance is negative. Because something like this goes through our head. I really like ice cream. My doctor tells me I'm 50 pounds overweight. It's bad for my heart. It's bad for my lungs. It's bad for my circulatory system. It has to go. And so I'm going to repent of eating ice cream, and I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. You see, my, my heart and my emotions and my desires are all taking me one direction, and my will and my reason are taking me in an opposite direction. And this tension, this, this division causes stress in my life. So I can be repentant and miserable, or I can be unrepentant and happy. What a choice. What I would suggest is wrong about this picture, is that repentance here is only touching one aspect of the person, the will. Change your behavior here. 
but my emotions are left untouched. My imagination is left untouched. My hope is left untouched. So repentance in this scenario is simply incomplete. Repentance is not complete until it permeates the entire person, until my emotions rejoice in what my mind knows to be right, until my imagination embraces what God has declared to be good. So let me offer you four steps of repentance here. And the first step is simply know the mind of God. The word repentance in Greek is the word metanoia. Meta in one variation means change. Metamorphosis means a change of the form. Metanoia means a change of your noose, your N-O-U-S, your metanoia. And it means change, not your behavior, but change your mind. Dr. J.I. Packer defines it as, quote, changing one's mind so that one's views, values, goals, and ways are all changed, and one's whole life is lived differently. Alcoholics Anonymous has the wise proverb, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We're a little bit like little Tommy in the first grade. They were sitting in a circle, and they had finished an exercise. The teacher said, okay, boys and girls, let's all stand up for our next exercise. They all stood up except Tommy. She said, Tommy, stand up. We're doing our next exercise. He says, no, I'm not standing up. She says, we have to do this together. Please stand, Tommy. He said, no, I ain't going to stand. She said, Tommy, you will stand, or you will go down to the principals, and we'll call your mommy and daddy, and they'll deal with you. And he ground his teeth, and he glared And then he stood up, and he looked at her, and he said, Well, I may be standing up on the outside, but I'm a-sitting down on the inside. Now, we all understand that spirit. To bring the outside and the inside into a unity that we delight in both is the fullness of repentance. Jerome, unfortunately, translated metanoia, not as repent, That's confusing to us, perhaps. But he translated as penitentiam agite, do penance. In other words, it's something you do out here. You change your behavior in some way. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance is change your mind. Most English translations simply translate it repent. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, translates it change your life. J.B. Phillips translates it, you must change your hearts and minds. And I like my dad's paraphrase. He would say to me on such occasions, kid, get your head on straight. Think rightly. And so that's where we begin with repentance, is knowing the mind of God. That's why we read the Bible in church. That's why we have a sermon to open up the Bible. That's why we have Sunday school classes and weekday classes and podcasts and recordings and all the rest. So the first thing we do is to endeavor to bring our mind into conformity with the mind of God. Number two, confess. The word confessio comes from two words. Fessio, which means to proclaim or to declare. Con means with. It's to declare with. Declare with what? With the scriptures and with the Holy Spirit that what I am doing is the will of God. You know, I'm doing this action, but this is not what the Bible teaches. I'm stealing and I shouldn't steal. I'm lying and I shouldn't lie. 
I'm being petty and I shouldn't be petty. I'm keeping everything to myself and I need to learn to share. It's to think with. And it's not to blame anyone else. It's to say, I did it. I love that Roman Catholic prayer of confession. I did it by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. And I love that honesty of that prayer. The third thing we do are to change our practice. We move first in the inside, change your mind, but then it moves to the outside, to behavior. So St. John the Baptist says, bear fruit that befits repentance. You see, the fruit of repentance is not ripe yet. Your repentance is only a seed, only a sapling. I think of the example of learning to brush my teeth. When I was in the second grade, I hated to brush my teeth. My mom would stand like an armed guard in the hallway and look at me and said, no breakfast till you brush your teeth. And this went on for days. But eventually I realized, well, she's going to stand there until I do it, I'll do it. But I did it reluctantly. But then it became something of a habit. It became regular. I'm looking here at Ben Franklin's wonderful proverb and Poor Richard's almanac. He says, sow a thought, reap an attitude. Sow an attitude, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Search with the thought, but it ends with a life that makes a difference in the world for God. So we change our practice. Fourth and lastly is be habitual. This isn't something you do one day. You do it again and again and again. Again, Alcoholics Anonymous has the bumper sticker. You've seen it. One day at a time. And that's true for the Christian life as well. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily and follow me. It wasn't enough to brush my teeth on Monday. I had to brush it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so on. And I've done it with such habitual practice that it's so much a part of my character now. The thought of leaving my house without brushing my teeth is unthinkable. It's part of me. It's become part of my character. And so with many, many other things in my life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about this under the parable of the man with the mask. He says there's a man who was very cruel, he was mean, he was selfish, he was manipulative, he was hateful, and all of that came out and showed on his face. And people hated him because they saw it on his face. And he didn't like that. He said, I want to change. So he got this mask that he could put on, and people would think that was his real face. And it was beautiful. And it was a face of kindness and gentleness and generosity and courtesy, moderation and kindness. And they began to treat him in that fashion, and he liked that very much. But years later, he said, you know, I'm a hypocrite because this isn't who I really am. And he went to the people and he said, you have been believing a falsehood about me because I'm just wearing a mask. But I need to take off my mask and show you who I really am. And he pulled off the mask for the first time in years. And they looked at him and they gasped. Because he was now as beautiful as the mask. His face had grown into conformity with the mask. 
And just so it is when we endeavor to live a godly life, we are day by day, gradually, little bit by little bit, growing into conformity with the identity of Christ, to love like Christ, to have the patience of Christ, to have the goodness of Christ, to have the compassion of Christ. That can be ours. You see, repentance is about hope. It's not about slapping people on the wrist and saying, bad dog. It's saying, you can change. I am confident that every person in this room has some area in their life that they want to change. I do. And the good news of repentance is, you can change. You're not stuck there. There are philosophies that say, no, you are stuck forever. The astrologists say that it all depends upon your stars. And some scientists say it's genetic determinism. It's in your genes. You can't fight your DNA. There's social and psychological fixity people who say it depends upon how you were born and how you were raised. There's Marxist determinists who says it's what class or race you're born to, and you can't get out of that. Only Christianity offers a word of hope. Repent. Change. Be transformed. Frederick Beekner, well, I'm thinking of a, a couple that came to me for counseling some years ago. And they were an older couple. They came in and sat down. And I said, okay, what's, what's the distress here? And for 50 minutes, she complained and about this and about that and about that and this. And it just went on and on from one anecdote to another. I was looking for some common thread, but I couldn't find it. After 50 minutes, I said, Joan, you're troubled about a lot of stuff. What do you want? I find that a very clarifying question in pastoral counseling. What do you want? And she turned 90 degrees and she went away I didn't expect. She looked at me and she said, I want my husband to tell me he loves me. And I thought that was a good question. And I turned to her husband, Carl, and I said, well, Carl, how about it? And he said, well, Father Brad, when we got married, I told her I loved her. And if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. Seriously. I got into counseling one-to-one -one with Carl the following week, and we tried to pursue this. And he said, you know, I just wasn't brought up in that kind of a family. We didn't talk about our emotions. You know, that's the way my mom and dad were, and that's the way I am. And I said, you don't have to be that way. I mean, you can tell your wife you love her. You can tell her Every day, something you appreciate about her. He shrugged his shoulders and he said, Well, Father Brad, I just guess you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I looked at him and I said, You know, that may be true about old dogs. I don't know. But I don't see an old dog. I see a man made in the image of God. And I know you're a Christian and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you can do this. And he shrugged his shoulders. Now, what I'm saying is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. That's what repentance is. Presbyterian minister of a previous generation, Frederick Beekner, wonderfully said, Repentance is not so much looking back and saying, I'm sorry, as it is looking forward and saying, wow. Repentance is good news. Good news of release good news of liberation, and good news of transformation. Wow. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.